my son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. Welcome to the Pants Cast, brought to you by Lululemon, a show about all things pants. My guest is Matt James, former NCAA player and Lululemon ABC pant enthusiast. Hi, great to be here. Matt, tell us all about those ABC pants. The comfort? They're like the pants I put on when I don't want to wear pants. Versatility? You could wear these pants to a wedding, but you could also wear these to a cookout. And what about style? They're like if casual and cool had a baby. Well, it's clear why you're an ABC enthusiast. Pleasure having you and your pants on the show. Thanks for having us. Find the shockingly comfortable ABC pants at lululemon.com. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray and his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back, so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash Pro Football Focus NFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, fam. So Who cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the to the PFF NFL podcast. Apparently there's a new intro where we didn't hear it. So I was under the impression that we were going to hear it. Same. But we're here. We're here. But we have the new intro and everybody else just heard it. I think it's awesome. Same. I like it. Yeah. I was I had I took some convincing to change the music because I have a certain, you know, sentimental attachment to our music that didn't did it in been doing it since the 90s right but we broke out the new stuff and and ken put it all together some pretty cool audio segments and bits stitched in and it just it worked better with that new music so We're growing as so a podcast changed. yeah i think it's good so uh hashtag let, let us know let us know what you think of the <laughs> the new intro thought it was great i'll get better about my timing well, for next we time start. we might either hear it or we'll have some other form of cue system. But we'll get it. We'll get it. So today, NFL Combine is in the book, Sam. We'll do a little bit more of a review. We reviewed a little bit. Review the whole thing this time. On Friday. Yes. Yes. On Friday, we touched a little bit on the wide receivers. 
If you did not listen on Friday, or if you did, there's two things I need to say. Okay. If you didn't listen on Friday, listen. Go back and listen. Yeah. Especially because our Darius Leonard interview aired, and I think it was fantastic. What wasn't fantastic in related news was the audio. Yes. For the Darius Leonard interview. But I feel like you get a it's like, hey, we were at a live show and it's a bar and it's, you know, it's not going to be easy to hear. But the content itself was great. Yes. So the audio is sketchy. Let's just say that it wasn't entirely our fault. There was some last minute technical snafus that our guys had to scramble to put right. Uh, So this is as good as we could get it. But we figured it was worth getting you guys the content to have to suffer through some rough audio. So also, by the way, was it. Which one was better, in the car or on the phone? One of them sounded a lot worse. Uh, I think you said in the car was, we listened in the car in the yeah. drive home, and, and you I said it was wasn't as bad. Better. As, yeah. yeah. So if you have. If so you don't have listen too of, closely with your headphones. Right. So if you have a way of listening to it other than headphones, listen to it that way because it sounded better to me. Um, but anyway, we had the Darius Leonard thing that was on last week's podcast. Today, we would like to bring you one more segment from the live show from Joey Molinero, I think his name is. Yeah, I asked him right. how to say it, and I still butcher it. That's fine. Um, this is the guy, if you don't know him, Google him, uh, fire it up on Twitter. He's been doing all these kind of cool impersonations, uh, Colin Cowherd. We had him doing Mel Kuyper going head-to-head with Mike Renner on Draft Prospects. It was great. It was uh, really good. Yeah, he uh, he's a future star. He might already be a phenomenal. star. He's already got significantly more Twitter followers than you or I. In fact, like three times as he much. has significantly more Twitter followers than you and I put together. That's true. After like two weeks of work. But he's not verified. So, ah, no, yeah. Where's your take that, Joey? Where's your blue check mark, Joey? Right. Yeah. But Maybe come back to us when you get the check mark. He's kind of local, right? He, he's from Indy. Um, so we talked about potentially doing some stuff down the road. He says he checks out a couple of Reds games, you know, uh, each year. So we might get him in. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, who am I to judge? Uh, we might get him in studio and do some stuff here. Yeah, that's great. Joey did a great job. So uh, check out that. Well, later on, we'll have that segment. Him and Renner going head to head. Leading up to that, though, Sam and I are going to go head to head with our winners and losers from the combine. This is just like required content, right? A combine happens. You have to declare who the winners and losers are. And let's not forget this. The winners and losers. This is more about your stock, your perception, and you either had business to take care of and you did or you had business to take care of and things did not go so well and however you want to weigh the combine it matters every last bit of it matters and the thing is when you're battling for draft position every last data point has at least some level of use it does and you know we talked before when we were previewing the combine how much matters and, and a lot of this is about sort of hitting thresholds not necessarily the difference between 4 4 and 4 5 and all that kind of thing so when we're talking about these, a lot of what we're talking about is the guys that were significant outliers at one end or another, right? Either their their workout was phenomenal and that changes things slightly, or it was disastrous and that also changes things slightly. It's not everything, but it does make you reassess what you thought of these guys and at least change to some extent your opinion on these prospects. All right, so let's go. You want to go? Back and forth here? Alternate. Okay. Alternate. Do you want to go winner, winner, loser, loser, or all the winners, all the losers? I'd say all the winners and all the losers. Okay. But do we start with losers or start with winners? Do we want to go out on top yeah. or, or start high? Uh, let's start with the bad. 
Let's get it out of the way first. All right, give me a positive note. Give me your first loser. Wait, I got to scroll to my losers. Yeah, we because we because we wrote winners then losers. We did. So start with your first loser. We'll go back and forth. Okay. Uh, First loser. I'm going to go out of order from what I've got in our document. That's okay. That's okay. The first loser is the city of Indianapolis. (sighs) Rest in peace, Indianapolis. So Indy is a great venue for the NFL Combine. It's small. It's compact. You can walk to almost all of it through either the convention center or the skywalk that takes you basically within a block of where you want to go, regardless of where you want to go. Now, if I'm nitpicking, it's almost always within a block, and you then have to scramble a block out in the freezing-ass cold. So it's not perfect, but it's good. That's right? okay. You just got to you know, bundle up. Right. And there's a lot of hotels that are sort of off these convention centers that everybody stays in. So everybody can essentially meet in the same area somewhere along the convention center slash stadium slash where everybody is, right? Now, they moved all the times back so that the workouts could be prime time, so that the NFL could make more money, so the TV ratings are better. Pretty much everybody seems to hate that. Um, The players are apparently hanging around for hours longer than they need to. The agents aren't happy because, A, it's potentially risking injury. B, it's for somebody else making money. Like, it's for an increased amount of money that they're not seeing any part of, so they're not inclined to help. The other thing that stood out is that, like, so before you would have the day's worth of workouts and all the, the actual event, and then... Come the evening, everyone is out in a few bars, drinking, networking, talking, doing deals. Not just bars. Eating. Steakhouses turned bars as well. Correct. And everybody has a good time. And that's when a lot of business, a lot of talk, a lot of information is exchanged. Now, everybody is stuck in the stadium until past midnight. And the place is dead. We went to one of these steakhouses after our live show, which went great. St. Elmo's. We can drop it. St. Elmo's. We went to Elmo's. We were like the last people in the building. Yeah. It was empty. Yeah. And it's usually all these places are generally packed. Pretty late. Rammed full of people. Yeah. And you you usually plan your week with like, all right, it's like a nine to five of business. Right. Throughout the day. And then it's like, all right, we're going to meet for dinner. You get in. The thing I like about Indy is kind of like you said, it's it's condensed. There's one of three hotels where pretty much everybody's staying. We're going to meet here, here, like, and, and it's all connected. Mm-hmm. By the convention center, and it's just easy. We're going to meet at the Starbucks, which, by the way, wasn't open. I mean, that could be why they're going to lose it. Hmm. Indy might Didn't lose help. the combine just because the Starbucks was under construction yeah. for the biggest week of the year. That's a problem. So anyway, I I, I love the city of Indianapolis, and Indianapolis because it's driving distance for us from Cincinnati that here. That helps a lot. But I also think logistically it makes a ton of sense. It's perfect. So they're kind of screwing them over because everything's moved later and all the businesses, all the bars, all the restaurants are getting screwed in the evening. And two, it sounds a lot like they want to move this thing and take it on the road. And because of all the the money. Yeah. Because of all the advantages we just talked about though, that Indy has, I don't know that there's that many cities you could move it to and have it succeed. Like LA would be a disaster. Because L.A. is a sprawling mess. Vegas might work because it's at least set up for conventions. Yeah, I don't know if L.A. has an area that's like that. I don't know L.A. very well. So is there an area that is convention centery where you could like, I mean, if you just drop anybody in a convention center, like if they did it in Miami where the Super Bowl was in that convention center, like you can make it work. 
Yeah, but, but you, you would also need a field. Right. You need. You don't just need the convention center. You need the convention center. You need the field. You the need fields. A, that's you need, the thing. It's right next right. to the stadium. You need a few different. Not just. It's connected. Like you get to it through an underground walkway. Right. You, right. you don't need to leave ever. Right. These the shots you see on NFL Network where you see those guys walking through the corridor with the god awful orange seventies carpet. That's the convention center that connects directly to Lucas Oil through like an underpass under the road. So you literally never need to go outside for these guys. They can walk right from their hotel to the stadium to do their workouts. Unless you can find a city that has a convention center connected to a field turf stadium, you have some problems. You have at least some other logistics that need to be worked out. Then you need multiple different hotels all within a pretty close area so that that whole thing can function. Hey, let's meet you at the JW. Let's meet you, you know, all those kind of things. Like I said, Vegas is kind of set up for conventions, so I can see that working. And in particular, if the Raiders stadium is up and running, like that thing is across the street from Mandalay Bay. Mandalay Bay's got a convention center. That that might work. I, I so can see Vegas, Vegas working. Yeah, I can see Vegas working. Now, it's more of a drive for us, and we had problems when we tried to get back from Indy, even though the road is like a straight line. It is more of a drive. Right. Yes, so we did. you and I might have issues getting there. We almost ended up in Canada on our way back. Yeah, we did drive quite a long direction in the wrong in the wrong direction. Anyway, um, I don't know if we can name drop who it was or whatever, but there's a, a prominent NFL media member who said, and I don't know if he said anything like this on air. I didn't listen to every second of the combine, but he seems to think that this thing is going to continue to evolve and that they're going to start tracking and grading and timing everything. Sounds like PFF, mm-hmm. but I mean, they're like every single drill maybe timed in the future. I mean, it seems like the way this is going is to turn it into more of a competition and more of essentially, you know, a fan showcase type of thing. Like think the old, like those old pro bowl skills competitions. Yeah. It seems like they might want to start going that way. I can't imagine agents are all that happy. So agents are losing power every year as well. They are, but it's a really interesting dynamic that, you know, this is obviously the way this event wants to go. Because it makes more money, right? They can throw this on in prime right. time. They can make a fortune out of it. This is a this is an enterprise, a league. We're, we're hearing about this now because of the collective bargaining agreement. It is collectively bargained. The money is split. Now, it's not a 50-50 split yet, but it's a split between the players and the teams. This is one area that is not split to the players. You're asking these guys to come to work out, to put their talents on display on prime time so that you can make more money. And they're not seeing a penny of it. Right. They are doing that for the chance that you might draft them highly in a few, you know, in a month or so's time. They're not doing, they're not getting anything out of this. And at some point, that's probably going to be an issue. So you got Indianapolis as First a loser. loser. And it's mo- it's mostly because the steakhouses lose out or because we just see the writing on the wall that it's it's out. I mean, it's, I think generally this, this week showed that the city of Indianapolis is, going to struggle now wait now i know you couldn't hear every last thing that peter king said on the live show good yeah but he did come into the week saying i expect indy to lose the combine and he came out of it saying i'm not so sure Mm. and it was because he really thinks that the people of indy they buy in they love it you know they embrace this thing whereas maybe Vegas or Los Angeles, you're not, you're not going to have that same type of feedback. I, I mean, I agree. I think that's how it should work. I think whether or not they lose it, they have problems because of the primetime thing. Like, it's completely jacked the week. It, yeah. Everything around it. Like, the city of Indianapolis, I think, probably used to do very well out of the combine in terms of the 
ancillary money that's spent partying basically every evening. I don't know they're getting that anymore. All right. So Indianapolis is your first loser. I'm going to go with my first loser, LaVisca Chenault, Colorado wide receiver. And so he's having surgery this week to repair his uh, core muscle injury that he's had. And he just didn't run. I mean, it just wasn't what we expected as far as the 40 yard dash goes 4.58. So on one hand, you could say he came in, they found out he's injured. Therefore his stock is going to suffer. On the other hand, you could say, well, he ran a four, five, eight while injured, but I'm still putting him in the negative column just because of this wide receiver class and the depth there. And if you show up to Indianapolis and you leave with any kind of question mark, immediately you're probably going to end up losing some money just because of the depth at wide receiver. Yeah, you see, I think if anything, he's a winner out of this. Um, Because, A, I don't think the wide receiver group across the board generally blew people away in terms of speed, right? Obviously, Ruggs was down in the four twos, but like nobody else was – it wasn't that blazing a group of receivers. So for him – and the other thing is four five eight was clearly – not representative of his speed on tape, right? So everybody pretty much knows that that's not his time. And then it's like, oh yeah, he was injured. He's going to go get that taken care of. Now he's basically not going to work out before the draft. He's put a four, five, eight down knowing that he was injured. That's not at the worst time in the world for a guy. Anyway, everybody knows he can run faster than that. I think he wins. Yeah, it's to chill for the next couple of months. I understand that, but there's certainly going to be <laughs> some teams that are debating between LaVisca Chenault and I've seen your winners, Denzel Mims, right? How dare One you. of your winners. Do you not we, understand teases? And this is not how the show works. It's supposed oh, to be a reveal. Okay. One of the guys that you listed as a winner <laughs> is going to be competing with LaVisca for draft position at 20, 25, 30, whatever that spot is. And some team's going to stock, you know, say, what's the last thing that we saw other than a pro day? Well, what's one of the last things that we saw? We saw your winner crush the scouting combine, and we saw LaVisca not crush it and go get surgery. I mean, that is going to, the recency bias is going to be an issue, and the teams that are looking for a wide receiver are going to have similar grades on players in that late first or early second round range, and I think this is going to affect things. I mean, I think yeah, I think those two in particular are very different players, and I don't know that their stocks are that closely correlated. I think Mims' stock can go up without affecting uh, Chenault's stock. So. so one man's loser is another man's winner. I get what yeah, you're saying. and that's how the draft works, right? That's how it only takes one. You only need one nut job. Yeah, I mean, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, too, from LSU, another guy that, like, ran 4-6. And it's like, if you just watch the tape, okay, he doesn't have breakaway speed, but he's a lot like David Montgomery. Like, he's going to make guys miss, and he's going to be really good up to 15 or 20 yards, which is, is the most important thing. But this number might make him drop. So some team's going to benefit from that. Just like some team will benefit from LaVisca Chenault's probably dropping a little bit, but him personally yeah. in his wallet, perhaps a loser this week. I, I mean, I can Sorry see the table. Yeah, I can see overall the argument that enough teams – would act, would think the way you are that overall a stock goes down, even if I mean it only takes one not to think that way to take him still you know in the top fifteen or whatever. Uh, by the way, another like this is sort of an, an off the cuff winner that we won't put in there, but uh, us we didn't catch the coronavirus. Yeah, that's a win, I guess. Everybody everybody's concerned about it. Michael over there in the corner is busy freaking out, talking about wearing a gas mask the next time he has to go on a plane. Peter King reports that not one but two NFL GMs would not shake his hand. One simply saying Corona, uh, electing instead for a fist bump as if that solves the problem. See, I would problem. go elbow. 
elbow, toes. You can't. Why can't you just wave? Yeah. But I mean, how? So here's the thing, right? We keep talking about 32 different levels of competency throughout the NFL. At least two people are apparently dumb enough that they think that if hand-to-hand contact through a handshake is going to catch you the virus, instead, I'm going to fist bump, which is also hand-to-hand contact. Well, there's, there's less surface area. Yes. Where the disease can live. I don't know that surface area is necessarily a giant. And your fingertips are generally going to be the things that touch something where the disease lives. Right. But you're not going to, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But it doesn't just like stay on your fingertips in the exact spot. You touch something like it moves. It moves. Yeah. It's a virus. Huh? Yeah. But anyway, people were genuinely like freaked out in Indy about the coronavirus. But even though it hadn't like, I don't think there had been. Like there'd only been a couple of reported cases in the states at that point, none in the states of Indiana or Indiana and Ohio. Yeah, but people were from all over. Sure, but I mean, you know, whatever. There was. Anyway, uh, we, I did. We are winners because we didn't catch the coronavirus, except maybe Tyler. It is a fascinating week because there's so many people there, and there's people that you either like know from Twitter and you've only met once or twice, or it's just this event where you 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 see everybody once, twice, three times a year, depending on how many how much you travel yeah. in the media or. In team settings. So there's a whole lot of head nods. Yes. Whole lot of bro handshakes. Mm-hmm. Right. There's a whole lot of missed handshakes. That's even riskier. Yeah. You're going, you're going in deep at that point. Yeah. I mean, it depends. I mean, once you see a guy like three or four times, one of your like social media friends, like you're, you're probably going in for the bro handshake and hug and the whole thing. And then, and then there's so many different types of handshakes. It's tough to that's, know. That's what confuses me. It's I really struggle tough. with that. Yeah. I missed Six or seven by the end of the week, right? Just straight up, like because here's the thing: rolled right? off a guy's hand. Yeah. I just didn't know. So you're the the bro handshake thing over here, right? Where you go kind of thumb to thumb, yeah, and yeah. then there's a like a there's like a finger part of it. How like much a secondary you, thing? How much do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and the hug, right? You pull and you come in, but and, then there's like a finger part to it as well. In Europe, the finger part doesn't exist, so it's just the like thumb to thumb. You're really at a disadvantage. It's like the handshake, but thumb to thumb, right? So I keep like for, oh, I just, haven't learned yet that there's. I haven't, there's yeah. no muscle memory for the fact that there's like a finger part to it after the advantage there is if, if it's like me and you talking to somebody and you hand, you shake his hand first and then I evaluate the technique there and then go right. in with the same, same technique. Well, yeah. Then you, you know, then you can see it, happen. see what they were going for. Um, so it's a whole awkward week. And then as I, again, as I tweeted out, there was one handshake unintended for me that I just grabbed and I was like, Oh, Hey, how are you doing? It was like for the person behind me. <laughs> so I, I, inter- I intercepted. A handshake that was unintended for me. <laughs> Accepted a handshake. Yeah. What an awkward week overall That's from a handshake standpoint. That's perfect. Anyway, let's get back through. Uh, give me another loser, Sam. All right. Loser. Cameron Dantzler. Um, Who is? Cornerback from Mississippi State. Yes. Um, we have to be very specific. With sorry. We sorry. Discuss. Cornerback from Mississippi State. One. So his thing is he was like 6'2". Um, looked long, lanky, the skinniest guy you're ever going to see, right? On tape. Now, usually you would imagine that translates to length and the ability to break up passes, all that kind of thing. So his numbers in college are excellent. But he came in with arms that were under 32 inches long. Under 31 inches long. Which I don't even understand how that's possible, given what he looks like on tape. Um, Then compounded the problem by running in the four sixes. Now, we talked before about how uh, the combine is all about thresholds and just be better than this number. Now, that is a number that's not really like above the threshold. That's a number that didn't meet the threshold, and that's a problem. 
Yeah, so it's it's interesting going through his comps over at our friends at mockdraftable.com, a nice easy way to visualize historic percentiles, height, weight, speed, and all that stuff. We have Dantzler. They have Dantzler in the 94th percentile for height, six foot two, and then the 23rd percentile for arm length. Yeah. That is a fascinating difference. And then one of the last podcasts that we discussed, Dantzler, producer Ken said, you know, Bengals fan over here is like, hey, that's our Drake Kirkpatrick. The number three comp for Dantzler on Mock Draftable is Drake Kirkpatrick. Mm-hmm. And if you look at Dre, very similar, 81st percentile height, six foot one, and the identical 23rd percentile in arm length, 30 and five eighths inch arms. Now, how much does the arm length matter? Maybe not for playing football, but the teams that do want that long press corner want to see 31 and a half, 30, really they want to see 32 inch arms. At least because they think that's going to help with press and all that, which again, in a vacuum, if you're just, you know, two guys are identical and one guy has longer arms in theory, you could teach him better technique, right? He can, he can, uh, he could be a press man corner a little bit more effectively than the next guy. Um, so as far as a loser goes, yes, that's, that's not good. Not because he changed, but because his measurements were unexpected. Right. I mean, we exactly. We talked about just needing to meet thresholds and show that you are a better athlete than X because beyond X, a lot of evidence exists to say that that is a significant problem. Now, he didn't do that. His official time was 4.64. That's slower than Richard Sherman. Richard Sherman was in the 4.5s, I think, and he's like held up as the poster child for slow corners in the NFL that have still succeeded. Excuse me. Um, it's kind of tease taperish. I mean, not, not as bad, but right. I mean that, that. So that's the point, right? Is you're getting towards that tease taper point of, I mean, this just cannot succeed at that level, right? So he, I mean, there's nothing you can do about the arm length, right? That's just who he is. But the speed thing, like he has a shot at a pro day or whatever to change that or to improve and to get a better time than that, because right now that time is going to take him off a lot of boards completely. Like whatever about the arm length, there are teams that will live with that. There are teams that don't like it. That's a thing that, you know, it's a sort of preference issue. But there are team, there is a lot of teams in the NFL that would just be taking this guy off their board if he doesn't improve on a 4-6-4. Yeah, and again, I think when you talk about you're separating yourself from your peers, there's a whole bunch of cornerbacks in his range from a ranking standpoint. You know, who's going to be the fifth, sixth, seventh corner off the board? He's probably in that mix. And this week doesn't help him. And this is a guy right now that's top 25 in PFF's big board. Right. Pre, you know, combine stuff. He is an extremely talented player with great production. The college tape, all the the stuff before this is great, but that has now raised a massive red flag as to his stock. So if nothing else, got to be a loser. I do like the way he plays in off coverage. And uh, this reminds me of Rasul Douglas a couple years ago. Long, you know, he he hasn't been great at the NFL level, but a long corner who probably plays better in off coverage but has this size that teams are going to desire as a press corner, but maybe his best skills are, you know, off zone, that type of thing. Uh, My next loser, AJ Epinesa, the defensive end slot, you know, edge defender from Iowa. Is he though? Is he though? So I think from, again, an NFL viewpoint, you feel much more comfortable drafting an edge that checks all the athleticism measures, especially because, you could easily compare all the best edges, the J.J. Watts and Vaughn Millers, and now T.J. Watts, like all these guys. You're at Khalil Mack. They tick every box. Danelle Hunter. All these guys have the broad jump. They have the three cone. They have enough, you know, the 10-yard burst. They have all that stuff. 
And a lot of times you just connect, well, these incredible athletes are the best guys that you see rushing the passer. But the comparison I used for Epinesa after watching him was Trey Flowers. It's what we have in our draft guide over at PFF.com. The Trey Flowers comp. Trey Flowers was a fourth rounder, a first round talent. Epinesa is a similar player, similar production. I still think he's going to be a very good player. But again, I think when you're comparing him to the other edges, teams are going to feel more comfortable with a guy that's a better athlete. Are you questioning my loser again? What? No. Okay. I questioned whether I, my point was that now he put this disastrous combine out there. There's a lot yeah. of people saying, well, this guy's not an edge. Can't play at the, can't play edge in the NFL with that athletic profile. That was my point. Not that he's a loser. That yeah. He might not be an edge anymore in the eyes of many, but I think you raise a good point, right? That our comp for him heading into the combine was, um, uh, was Trey flowers and Trey flowers has the same story, right? He's a guy who didn't have, a good athletic profile at all, but was incredibly productive in college and has become a really good NFL player. So if that holds up, if that is who Epineza is, it didn't change anything. Then he's still probably the second best edge defender in this class behind Chase Young as he is right. on our board. Now they're very different players. Very different. So, yeah. you know, if if you want a specific thing as an edge <clears throat> as an edge defender, you go for one over the other. But yeah. Yeah, so here's the thing about him, too. 6'5", 275. He's got the 34-and-a-half-inch arms. That's 85th percentile. So that's how he plays, right? He's got pop in his hands. He moves defenders. He'll jack them up. He doesn't have the best burst off the line. The 40-yard dash was 5.04. But all of that stuff was on tape. Yeah. Um, Also, for a power player, only 17 reps on the bench. 5th percentile among edge defenders. How much do you care? I don't know. But, you again, you usually just like to say, this guy's strong. Let's confirm it with whatever drill is out there. So, but arm length. So that's yeah, going to be, no, the arm length is, is not you and I, Steve, to varying different degrees, so, understand that arm length is important when it comes to the bench press. What, what about this idea? So Neil was tweeting, uh, into the ether at three 30 in the morning, <laughs> uh, as he usually does. Neil's just, you know, I'm, I'm doing my workout. Let me just tweet to like the six people from the UK that are awake right now. And doing the, doing their gym work. And he was debating me. what, like a three second hold yeah. on the bench and this and that, which made which made me think, what if the bench press was the participant get to pick whichever weight he wanted and then rep it out, and then you can decide how to value that. Like, you give them a, a range. Obviously, you can't do, like, 50. That would sound crazy. But you go from, like, say, 175 to 500. You do whatever you want. My- so you could have one dude out there is just, like, 450 for three reps. Okay, take with this what you want. Another guy's like, I'm going to do... Not 225, I'll do 275 for 15 reps. So you pick what you want, you have rep turned, it out, and then let the teams figure out what to do with it. You have turned what is already an almost meaningless weightlifting event into a almost meaningless and completely unintelligible <laughs> event in the space of one change. That's kind of spectacular. But look, if the NFL wants fun, you get out there and you declare, that's it, I'm going to rep, I'm going to do 350. Yeah. I already told you my uh, KJ Hamler story. Did I tell out in the podcast? I don't know. So he he knocked out whatever it was, 15 reps yes. at 178 or something, um, which is, you know, a huge amount for a guy that weighs nothing. Right. And was apparently pissed off enough of that number that he yelled fuck into a live mic like immediately after it had happened, forgetting that they have all this stuff wired up. And then was like, oh, you know, my bad. <laughs> but so that was funny. Um, but the other thing is Chris Carter was somehow like emceeing the bench press for the yeah. wide receivers. He's like one of these combine mentors that they have. 
And uh, before the whole thing started, they're like getting the thing set up. You know, the, the strength and condition guys out there get checking everything. And Chris Carter's out there making sure the mics are all live so that you can catch F-bombs dropped into them. Right. Um, of course. He like sat down, tried to throw out a, a rep and almost killed himself. Like the, the strength and condition guy had to like save him. Otherwise, we might have lost Chris Carter before the bench press even began. What a coach. That was kind of funny. Friend of the show, Chris Carter. It feels like you would want to make sure that you could handle that pretty comfortably before you, like, jumped down and did a, a rep in front of people. Yeah, you would think. Probably All right. Not, though. Epinesa is my second loser. Give me your third. Uh, my third loser, Derek Brown, defensive interior from Auburn. Ooh. Steven. Are you ignoring the tape, Sam? I'm not ignoring it. But again, I am raising a red flag that says this probably now changes what you think of him as or what he can be at the next level. So it's not that he's a bad player, but he now I think becomes a specific type of interior defender in your eyes. Right? So he's not going to be, I don't think he's even going to be a Chris Jones, right? A guy that's got all the strength in the world that can dominate and can be a great pass rusher. I think you're now, throwing him into the category of Linval Joseph and Akeem Hicks and guys that they can generate pressure and they can be dominant even against the past. It's just, it's not what they excel at, right? They dominate against the run. They control guys at the line of scrimmage and they're so strong that they win enough pass rushing reps to make an impact or at least be on the field in those downs, but they're not real. I mean, Hicks, I guess is the absolute apex of that kind of player, right? A guy that can, legitimately be a difference maker as a pass rusher and a run defender. But man, you're now aiming at a really small target. Akeem Hicks? Yeah. Yeah, Akeem Hicks, I I thought of him a little bit with Javon Kinlaw, the interior defensive lineman for South Carolina. I think Derek Brown and Javon Kinlaw, Kinlaw, they're the two guys, you know, sitting atop our uh, DI rankings, right? And I think both guys are similar. I thought both of them remind me a little bit of Hicks. And it took Hicks like three or four years to really get get going. going. Right. Here's here's my issue with Brown and the interior defensive linemen in general. Right. It's such a draft of pass game playmakers this year. There's a few quarterbacks. There are a, a plethora of receivers. There's a ton of offensive tackle talent and there's a decent group of cornerbacks. Right. If I come out of the first round. With Derek Brown, no offense to Derek Brown, with just like an interior defensive lineman who's a good run defender and maybe, you know, an okay, you know, pretty good to good pass rusher. I'm not feeling that excited in this particular draft. So like I used to go into my fantasy drafts and there's guys who like project. Okay. I just don't want them on my team. Like, Hey, you're probably the 20th best player in this fantasy draft. I just don't want you. I'm just not going to pick you. I'll let somebody else get you. You're going to be fine. It's kind of how I feel about Derek Brown and a lot of these interior players. I just don't want you to be my first round pick this particular year especially the more and more we learn about the true impact of the interior defensive lineman compared to edges and especially compared to corners and as you get further away from the ball. I mean, I think if you're going to spend that uh, really high pick on an interior player, you want them to be an Aaron Donald style of player. Not, I mean, right. Obviously, you want them to be Aaron Donald, right, i.e. the best defender in the NFL. But ideally, what you really want is a guy that's just going to get a consistent amount of pressure constantly, and that's that's valuable, that's big, that's huge. Um, but if you're not getting that, it's, it's a lot harder. It's a lot of a harder sell. I'm just want to make the point of just how catastrophic Derek Brown's measurables actually were. So he was in the 16th or lower percentile in the 40, the vertical, 
the twenty yard shuttle and the three cone. Three cone was the worst. His three cone anyone. was eight point two two seconds, which is like, I mean, an aircraft could make that kind of turning circle. It's that's abysmal. Um, his four, like everything was bad, right? So he probably has better tape than almost anybody he gets compared to in terms of that style of player, whether it's Linfield Joseph, whether it's Akeem Hicks, whether it's Jordan Phillips, all those guys, he probably has the best tape of any of those guys coming out. But you now have to start talking about this guy in order for him to be the dominant player that we thought he was leading up to this. Like he needs to maximize every last inch of that. He basically, a lot of people talk about the combine is, so I saw Chris Ballard, the Indianapolis GM talk about how we're in the elimination game, right? Our job here is to eliminate prospects from our list so that we end up with a draft board of guys we really like, right? And we eliminate them in a variety of different ways, whether it's measurables, whether it's tape, whether it's interviews at the combine, this guy's a moron, we're not touching him, whether it's character, whether it's medicals. Each one of these things is an exercise in eliminating the prospect pool and getting down to a, a finite group of guys. This is a reason to eliminate Derek Brown on a lot of boards, right? It's... Sure, he might buck that trend, and the tape is so good that he might become a great player. On the other hand, do you want to be the guy playing those odds? Yeah, I mean, so th- so that's a great way to put it. And I, you know, Mike Renner has made this point in the past, and I appreciate it. Right? It's like it's worse to it's not as bad to just not take a player who ends up being good. Like everybody who's like, oh, thirty-two teams passed on Russell Wilson. Thirty-one teams, or really all thirty-two. Everybody passed on Russell Wilson. Well, I mean, if you're just true to however you evaluate and you just said, okay, we're just not, we're just going to pass on him. We're going to eliminate him. I don't hate that. So like when people go, but who did you miss? And we say, well, Deion Jones, we missed. We didn't like him. The grades weren't great. He's become a spectacular coverage player, whatever whatever it is. You feel stronger about those and just say, okay, those are outliers. Those are okay. But it's worse to completely go all in on a player and say, this is my guy. And then he fails because that's who you're attached to. You're not attached to to the guy that you didn't take, you're attached to the guy that you did take. So if you're like, hey, I'm I'm eliminate like if you're in the top 15 and you say I'm not going to touch Derek Brown, not not just because of this, but because of positional value and whatever it might be, like I'm okay with that even if he becomes a very good player. Yeah, almost all of those you could have taken this guy posts, you know, the retrospective hindsight 2020 things. Yeah. They almost always exist because the guy that you took sucks. It's not that, oh, you didn't take Russell Wilson. It's that you pass up on Russell Wilson to take a guy that busted. Like, or right or like a punter or whatever it is. Right, yeah. or whatever. But it, it's, it's always the contrast that's, right. that makes it a story. It's not the fact that you didn't take him. It's the fact that the guy that you did take, you missed on. Right. And that's the problem. So, Derek Brown, I think that's fair. I mean, with <laughs> def, uh, interior defensive linemen, we've seen Jonathan Allen in previous years with something similar yeah. where I mean, it's like we wanted it. He dominated on the field. We wanted to see him dominate the combine, which he didn't do. I think at the very minimum, it, change, it, it, it characterizes the kind of player he is, which in and of itself probably lessens his value. Yeah, that's a fair way to put it. All right, so wrapping up the losers. Uh, wide receiver Juwan Jennings from Tennessee. Again, you've got a guy, um, some people have called a fringe first rounder. He's up there on our board and runs a four seven two at wide receiver. Yeah. Is he injured? Is he broken? Like everybody still references Keenan Allen's four seven one that he ran. Keenan Allen was like legitimately hurt, and you just watched him play football, and it's like okay, he's a he's a five four five guy at worst, 
And he's like the best, one of the best route well, runners we've thing. seen, right? Even if he wasn't, he has the best release of anybody in the NFL, or at least one of the top. But Allen, like Allen, also like came in to college as like an offensive weapon that they they put the ball in his hands and he created big plays. Like he played fast, was injured and ran four seven. So please don't compare it to Keenan Allen, what Jawan Jennings is trotting out there four seven two plus a twenty nine inch vertical, like both second percentile type of rankings over at Mock Draftable, just not explosive at all. So I watched this guy on tape when we were doing our receiver uh, preview. Didn't really like him. And when, you know, obviously we're coming at this behind the eight ball in terms of analysis compared with our draft guy, Mike Renner. So I asked Mike, I was like, Mike, tell me why I should like uh, Juwan Jennings. Um, And he told me contested catch guy. Or at least that was very, that was right up front with what he was saying. And you know my There's your red flag. On contested catch guys, if that's what you're leading with. It's concerning. So, yes, he can make some spectacular catches. On the other hand, if he runs a 4-7 and can't get open, that's not encouraging. Um, I don't know if there was a tweet from, essentially from Jennings' agent defending this, but I just want to piggyback on this. When the Schefters and Rappaports and other reporters of the world basically copy and paste the tweet or the, the text that was given to them from an agent, I just, I just die a little inside every time die inside a little bit i hate it Mm. like so you run a bad 40 and then i'm your agent and i'm like mass text to nfl media sam really tweaked something early in the day but he battled through to really attempt his 40 he's a competitor after all we're gonna come back at our pro day stronger than ever it feels like i'm disappointed in my effort however I just couldn't let all of my teammates down. I had to battle through. Therefore, my time that was subpar, you know, let's not focus on it too much because I'm just a competitor and I fight and I battle and I'm a little hurt. It feels like at the very minimum, you would at least reword the text before you send it out into the world. I mean, it's straight copy. Like this, the agent sends it to like 30 people and they just like, well, let's just tweet this out. If just because you know everybody else is going to be doing that. Why wouldn't you like reword it so it's clear that we didn't just all get the same group text and tweet it? Well, the best part was it isn't just like player X was hurt. It's like player X was hurt and he battled his way through. Right. I mean, it's always, you know, something about their character or something like that. You know, I mean, it's just look, you got to keep your got to keep your sources happy. Right. Winners. Anyway, let's get through our winners. Your turn. Yes. Uh, Tua and because of Tua, the Redskins. Um, so Tua, the big thing for him at the work at the combine was not the workouts, was not 40 times, et cetera. It was getting medically checked. Um, and obviously we don't have access to the medicals. And even if we did, I don't know that you and I are the best people to read an MRI. Uh, your parents are doctors. You can do that. True. Um, but the reports suggest that his medical stuff came back fine, right? Everything is encouraging. No Bo Jackson style loss of blood that's going to cause a degenerative problem to his hip is supposedly going to be a okay consequently his draft stock remains really good because he's now like 1a in the list of quarterbacks which puts him in the discussion for number two overall but the other thing is that makes the redskins open for business because there were reports out there that they want to take Tua and have a, a competition with haskins i know you're all on board with that but i think it's more likely that they're essentially trying to shop number two. It's like, okay, two is viable now. Now you're going to have to get up to two if you want him because we control that pick. Yeah, I, I love the power play there. 
And, you know, look, when I'm in a front office, I'll put out plenty of fake information in there. And I'm sure there's plenty of meetings that are like, hey, look, we're running. We're rolling with Haskins. But we got first off, you have to do your due diligence on the quarterbacks just in case, just in case Cincinnati takes the wrong guy. And it's like, well, now we definitely would take borrow and we wouldn't take two. You just have to have those answers. Sure. But at the very least, have the meeting like, look, okay, we're going to roll with Haskins. And now what are the scenarios? We could trade down for two of lovers and pick up all sorts of picks, or we could pick Chase Young, or we could still trade down for somebody that wants Chase Young. So you put all those scenarios on the board. And to maximize the value there, it's like, well, we got to bring Tua in just to show that we're interested. We obviously know, people know that we're interested in Chase Young. So, yeah, absolutely. When I'm, you know, running the show somewhere, I would, you know, try to build up all the all the stock for the guys that, you you know, people want to trade right. for. I mean, whether or not you think that the Reds, whether or not the Redskins actually think that taking Tua a two and having a competition with Haskins is a good plan or not. The fact that he was cleared completely medically and is now in play for number two Huge. is a massive win for them yeah. because they get that leverage and they can start making those trade demands and start trying to generate interest in that number two pick, which is ultimately what they want, right? They want that pick, that pick's value to increase so they have better options. So, so winner. So the Redskins win, Tua wins. Yes. All right, my first winner, obviously, this is an easy one, Isaiah Simmons. Really the entire Clemson back seven, like Tanner Muse, A.J. Terrell, all those dudes were um, running fast. Kevon yeah. Wallace, they're all running incredibly fast. Now, Isaiah Simmons, this is like, how much do you double count stuff is my question, right? right. You watch the film. He's explosive. He's an offensive weapon. You can use him everywhere. We did about 20 minutes of a segment the other day about how you, you can use Isaiah Simmons. So the fact that he ran a 4.39 and had a 39-inch vertical, 98th percentile broad, all that stuff, does that move him up, up, move him up even further? Or is it just like, okay, confirming what we saw on tape? But I think there's like a legit discussion now. Like, how soon do you take him? Our friends over at the PFF forecast who have pushed the narrative that coverage or coverage ability in general is more important than pass rush would say, look, he might be the best defensive player on the board above Chase Young. And the discussion there is centered more around, I feel really confident that Chase Young will get here as a pass rusher. But if Simmons hits his ceiling, it's worth more. Is there like a legit discussion for the Redskins, for the two, the Lions at two, uh, three, the Giants at four, all of these teams? Like how high could Simmons actually go? To me, that's double counting it and getting out of control and losing your mind because the combine just happened. Like, right. I think Isaiah Simmons is a really good player. I'm still kind of so I think I comp him a little bit to the Jalen Smith thing, not because they're similar players, but because I think that people were more in love with the idea of Jalen Smith than the player of Jalen Smith. And I think the same thing is true with Isaiah Simmons. People are more in love with the concept of think of, think of Tyron Matthew, but six, three, two forty, right. And running a four three. Right. And it's like, think what you could do with that. And the reality is most teams wouldn't do anything with that. They just put him at linebacker playing the same way they play any other linebacker. At which point, what is the point in being bigger, faster, stronger? It doesn't achieve anything. It doesn't, all it does is give you the play that you had on tape or, already. It doesn't transform this pick into something different because he can now hit this incredible ceiling that doesn't exist otherwise. No, I mean, it, so I think people are starting to become in love with this idea that's never going to be realized because it's, no team is going to do it. Here, here's the debate too. So, you know, Ken, producer Ken, ask a good question that I think maybe our listeners are asking in terms of positional value. Isn't Simmons a player who could do more 
and you know, as a coverage first player, isn't he more valuable? Yes, um, in a vacuum, right? But again, the range of outcomes is so varied because Chase Young, like when he gets drafted, you know what he's going to do. He's going to line up on the edge either side, and he's going to win a lot, and he's got a high percentage chance of becoming a top five pass rusher pretty early in his career. Mm-hmm. Like in that Bosa type you know, area, in the Garrett cut type of area, maybe at best he reaches Vaughn Miller, Khalil Mack, but his floor is pretty high. You feel pretty good that at worst he's like a top 10 pass rusher. So there's a confidence level of what you're getting. With Simmons, anytime you're talking about a back seven player and a coverage first player, the confidence level is as low as it gets. It's one of the most difficult things to predict. And then you compound it by how are you going to use him? So what could be the outcomes? Like if he said his best position is weak side linebacker. So what if he became Derek Brooks, right? So like here are the options. Like if he becomes like one of the best weak side linebackers in NFL history, is that worth it versus Chase Young? If he becomes, say, Derwin James, he's had comparisons there. So he's a strong safety who plays pretty much strong safety. He's good against the run. He's good in coverage. Is that worth, you know, Chase Young? Or is he the do-it-all player, the type that like a Patricia or a Belichick would use a ton, which is like one week he's spying the quarterback that is scrambling all over the place. The next week he's covering a running back, taking him out of the game. The next week, you know, he's playing safety. Like, what is the best spot for him and what are the best case scenarios? Right. On the other hand, what we're really talking about is all the explosion drills were crazy, right? Didn't do the change of direction stuff, right? Which is smart. That was your concern. Watching them. Yes. Now, the cha- or the explosion stuff was incredible. Don't want to take that away from him whatsoever. On the other hand, this is not the first time a linebacker has posted insane explosion drills. What? So he could be Derek Brooks. On the other hand, what if he's Ernie Sims? What if he's Thomas Howard? What if he's Boss Bailey? Like there are linebackers that were six yeah. three two forty who ran four fours and sucked. Boss Bailey, level. man. Back in my Madden franchise days, and Boss Bailey is like the first linebacker that had a ninety plus speed. You had to sign that guy. Right. Now, Boss Bailey had a 42-inch vertical. Yeah, he was crazy explosive. Now, he didn't have the 4-3-9 or whatever it was. Now, all right. Just not as good of a football player's champ. Here's another one for you. Manny Lawson. Manny Lawson was playing on the D-line. At he like was more six. edge rusher. Right. Right. But 6-6, six, six, 240, he ran a 4-4. Right. Same idea, right? Now, I'm, look, I'm, yeah, my whole point is I think if you're starting to lose control because of these incredible workout numbers, you're basically double-counting what we already knew, which is Isaiah Simmons He's a crazy good athlete, also a crazy good football player, judging by the tape, but this didn't change anything. This just put a stamp on it. Let me just use PFF terms to, to wrap that up, too. With Chase Young, say, pass rush grade style, he'll have an 85-plus pass rush grade a big chunk of his career as far as season goes, right? Isaiah Simmons having like a 90-plus or an 85-plus coverage grade could only happen a handful of times throughout his career because his performance is still going to be so dependent on the offense, what his role is, and other stuff around him, where Chase Young's just going to go out there, okay, beat this tackle, and you can bank on that happening X amount of time and just feel much more confident in that particular ability mm-hmm. as far as projecting it. So it's a great discussion. I, I mean, I think Simmons, I want him on my team. Sure. And I think he deserves to be in that top 10 discussion, and we'll have more on that as we get closer to the draft. Right. But he's a winner, clearly. Yeah. Next winner. Denzel Mims, wide receiver from Baylor. So most of the wide receivers, I don't think, had particularly strong winning uh, combine performances. Mims did. Now, this is a guy who, as we said uh, before, dominated the senior bowl. 
Big fan of people that dominated the Senior Bowl, as you know, Steve. If you then back that up with a, a spectacular combine outing. Off-season warriors, that's what you like? Well, now you start to put together a picture. Okay, this guy dominated when everybody was a greater level of competition. Beat the best people. Won against press coverage, which is something you don't always know coming out of a prospect. It looked like he was athletic and, and had the skill and had the uh, the sort of freaky um, height, weight, speed stuff, but you want to see numbers attached to that. So now we got them, right? 6'3", 207, um, 33-inch arms, 438 at that size, like 131-inch broad jump, so big broad jump, 6'6", six, 6'3", six, six, cone at that size. Is it weird that his 3-cone was so different from his shuttle? 90th percentile 3-cone, 10th percentile shuttle at 4.43. It is. To me, so if I see all of the drills in the same area and then one stinker, I'm working on the basis that that was like a technique problem. Like he tripped. Not even that he tripped. He's not going five, three, five, three, five, three with steps. Maybe there's a step issue. You know what I mean? I'm just working on the basis that that one is an outlier and weird and doesn't count. I'm throwing, like I'm lopping off the score by the East German judge and carrying (laughs) on with the average. So all of those three cone, broad, vertical, 40, they're all insane. We already saw how he could beat up the best competition in, in, in college football in terms of seniors. I would now be going back to the tape and asking the question of why is this guy not in the top tier of receivers? Yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, he, the, and I think we talked about it again on Friday just a little bit. Quarterback wasn't great last year at Baylor. Um, I do like guys, to your point, the senior bowl is not everything, but you're seeing him against that consistent competition in an NFL setting. And yeah, yeah, Mims, there's no doubt Mims was a winner that helped separate himself. He was number 31, I believe, on our board going into the weekend, and he'll be moving up mm-hmm. even further. So um, easy winner there. My next winner, um, the entire offensive tackle class was great. I think you might have one too. Yeah. Professional tease. Mm-hmm. I'm going with Tristan Wirfs, though, from Iowa. All these tackles trying to separate themselves in that first-round mix. Just a freaky combine. 4 8 5 40, 36 and a half inch vertical, 99th percentile broad. And his three-cone was good as well. That is one of the few measures that has – mapped to pretty good production at the next level, 71st percentile for Wurfs. Yes. He also has the largest thighs I have ever seen from a human being. So that's the type of analysis I'm expecting from you, you, Sam. They were monstrous. Thigh analysis for Wurfs. I'm not big on the idea of, you know, this the underwear Olympics and basically scoping out dudes on the stage one after the other and writing notes about it doesn't do a whole lot for me. But every now and again, there's some part of a guy that you're like, oh my God, would you look at the state Just of Just the that? extreme ends of the ranges. Right. So Tristan Wirfs, when he's doing like the broad jump and you just see this like beer barrel, this keg of a thigh attached to his leg. And that's like, that is the thing that's propelling him either nine feet in the air or 10 feet across the, the turf. It's, it was just insane. From an on-field standpoint, the thing I like about Wirfs, he's played left tackle and right tackle for Iowa last year. And in all of the, Metrics that you want to see a guy succeed at, namely true pass sets. So those those dropbacks that are five and seven step drop concepts or five and seven step concepts, the ones where the pocket's not moved, um, where four plus rushers. So you're not dealing with a three man rush and have all sorts of help. He had the number seven grade in the entire class. He performed well. He was in the 90th, 90th plus percentile when pass protecting with no play action on those five and seven step dropbacks in those true pass sets. Overall pass block grade. And he was one of the few guys to grade as a top 10 run blocker on both gap runs and zone runs, mostly zone runs at Iowa. But I just like that he was also good on the field 
in all the right areas. And the places where he struggled were ones that are, you know, more inconsistent, more unstable. So I thought he was a player who's just good on the field and then, you know, confirmed it with all the workouts. I agree. My last winner, same offensive tackle class. This time it's Mackay Becton, who is one of the largest human beings I've ever seen in my life. Um, and not just that, like those come around every now and again, but he moved freaky fast for a guy that size. His times were nuts. He ran a 5.140 at, what was it, 364 pounds. Yeah. So that guy, you have like 100 pounds of extra human on top of me, right? Because you're 6'10", allegedly. Yeah. Um, he has almost 100 pounds on you and almost. can run a 5'1". I'm closing in on I him. think he could run a faster 40 than you, yeah. and he has you by almost 100 pounds in weight. Well, that's his job. That's just nuts. That's his like, job. That is unbelievable explosion and speed at that size. Yeah, so interesting comparing Becton. I, I've really never seen a prospect like him. Um, not just the size and now all the, the speed, but even just like on the field. Uh, there, there are a lot of highlight reel blocks of his going around the, the interwebs. They're like, they're blocks that you literally never see people making. And it's just like the front side of zone. You're, you're usually just kind of like engaging, you know, you might just, you know, kick out a little bit and he just throws guys to the ground. Now, I don't know how translatable that is. You're not going to have too many, <laughs> you know, 200-pound defensive ends at the NFL level that you're going to toss. But at the same time. But you just, I've never seen that before. I've never seen that many times where what's considered a pretty standard block becomes a straight-up pancake. Right. There's not a whole lot of straight pancakes in college in the NFL. I mean, so it's true. You're not going to get too many 220-pound or NFL edge rushers, right? On the other hand, like the absolute best somebody's going to do is being outweighed by like 80 pounds. Yeah. Right. Like you have problems, right. whatever is going on. It's true. So um, so he's unique. Um, the opposite of Worfs, though, like he's a little concerning just from a pure data standpoint, like mid tier grade on true pass sets and in other key areas. And, you know, he was a good zone uh, run blocker last year. They didn't run a whole lot of gap. They ran a ton of play action to help protect him. So it's just interesting as far as projecting projecting him versus some of these other tackles. The data is pointing to some of the other tackles. But Becton is a freak. And there's a lot of top 10 hype and he's working with our friend Duke yeah. on improving those passes. And it's interesting that his grade kind of spiked the first year. He stopped doing that left and right thing that Louisville do. That, oh, that was left tackle. That was end, legit. Right. Stop moving. Then he had his best season. He allowed just one sack, 12 total pressures, um, had the best pass blocking and run blocking grade of his college career. Then goes to the combine and does freaky things at that size. Brian McKinney is the guy I've seen him come to a lot which is always interesting because McKinney was another monstrous human being like six, eight, three forty-five, And McKinney's thing was always, he's, he was a way better athlete than you thought he was. And actually more of a finesse player than a power player, which you wouldn't think of a guy of those dimensions. Um, I want to change my last winner. Oh, okay. I was going to say Willie Gay, the linebacker from Mississippi state. He tested really well. Four, three, nine, or sorry, four, four, six, one, five, 10 yard split. You know, he, he did great. Chase Claypool did great. So all the linebackers in general, plus Chase Poole, wide receiver slash tight end. Okay, they won too. Do you know what? who else won? Just relationships in general. Wow. Relationships won. I saw more mended bridges than I've ever seen at the combine. Hmm. Usually George and Eric, who burned all the bridges along the way and yeah. then mended them when we got to, uh, to Indy. Brady Quinn still hates me if that helps. Well, yeah, you're not a likable guy. Uh, but Eric. <laughs> 
Eric, who, you know, <laughs> he's trashed, you know, our friend Duke Mannyweather, who's, uh-huh. um, and Duke's not the, um, hasn't been the friendliest back to us. No. But, you know, we saw him. And, you know, Br- Prime brings everybody together. Mm. So at Prime, I saw Eric hug it out with Duke. Um, and I saw him hug it out with Aaron Nagler. Yeah. From the Packers. You know, they, they had a little, they had some Twitter beef. Right. Um, and there was someone else. I think there was another mended bridge. I mean, so there was a lot. So you've got the, you know, Twitter beefs. Once you get into the steakhouse yeah. after hours, you know, you, you mend those bridges. You think alcohol has anything to do with that? Um, in certain cases, perhaps. Okay. You know, everybody becomes friendly. Yes. But I wasn't drinking. Duke and I were, and he seemed pretty sober, and we had, we had a good conversation. We talked it out. Yeah, I don't know if you need both of them, just at least one person. At least one. Yeah. I know Duke was, Maybe uh, that's my problem. Maybe I just need to get Brady Quinn drunk. Duke was fine. And, and as we said, you know, maybe, I don't know about Brady. I think he only likes Notre Dame people. That's entirely He true. was on the two-for-one forecast, which I do recommend, yes. uh, podcast. podcast. I, just, I just combined two pod- both the two-for-one yeah. forecast would be a great show. I recommend you listen to both the forecast and the two-for-one drafts podcast. One on fast speed and one on slow. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so he was on the, the podcast there. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure he only talked to Renner because they both went to Notre Dame. <laughs> and he looked at Austin and was like, where'd you go? Oh, uh, non-Power 5. San Diego State. Like, okay. Get out of here. Like, you pretty much have to go to Notre Dame. In fact, to talk if you could just tilt the camera this way a little bit, we'll just pretend you don't exist. We'll have a Notre Dame conversation. Oh, yeah. And it was just like, hey, remember this dorm and this thing? And then, uh, Remember it, our theory, though, that Brady Quinn would crumble under under uh, intense trash yeah, talk? He definitely would. Pete Prisco, his teammate in this basketball tournament that's going to happen sometime in the future, confirmed that. Confirmed. He said absolutely, 100% yeah. he would. Sees up. But the worst thing is, like, if Renner was playing against him, he wouldn't do it. He's like, oh, no, no. Well, I, I can't trash talk Notre Dame a long time. This is now a you and me thing. We no, don't I care don't. about what Renner does. No, I get it. I'm just we saying if are going to work on our Brady Quinn trash talk. Yeah, we will. We will. Hey, Brady, what number are you in the Browns court? Like the, no, he was before. Was he before couch? No, he was in the middle of that. I can't have been before He's couch. like, no, no, I'm, I'm sorry. I lost my train of thought for a second. He's like, what are you, like the number 12th quarterback that, you know, didn't last a year? I got like him. the idea of, him. you know, that pass was so bad that, like, Taylor came down with it. It's bringing back memories, huh, Brady? Oh, that's great. Yeah, so anyway, I thought um, Indy brings people together. In Duke specifically, he works with a lot of offensive linemen. Um, I do think, so with Becton, the projections aren't great, but he's working with Duke, who I think is a really good teacher. And the fact that we've had Twitter beef in the past doesn't take away from the fact that I think what he's doing with NFL offensive linemen, with his OL masterminds and this whole deal. He had like a mini- Summit at the Combine. Well, yeah, because he's training all these guys. I think he's done a really good job of making a name for himself. He's a good trainer, and he's doing a good job of bringing those guys together and saying, look, how do we, as a group, attack these defensive linemen? Or or when they attack, how do we handle it, right? So um, I like the concept as a whole. And as he said, you know, we're all kind of working toward the same thing because we've seen ourselves as advocates for the offensive linemen. We've been saying for a while, look, if you're good, we can highlight that you're good because we're tracking that stuff. He's trying to be an advocate for offensive linemen who don't always have advocates. So I respect that part of it. So, yeah, relationships, one, in Indy. Wow. And I don't know if that happens in L.A. or Vegas. It only happens in Indy at prime. Well, if it does happen in Vegas, it stays in Vegas. I mean, we know that. Yeah, then, then you'd have to go back to Twitter and act like you hate each other. Right. It would stay in Vegas. So that would be a problem. So that'd be bad. That's, you know, more reasons to stay in Indy. What made you want to end the podcast or at least this section of the podcast on such a sappy note? I don't know. I, I thought we had a good week. I thought we had a good week. Huh. We sat there with every team, every NFL team except one. 
because they just didn't send enough people. That one team was the Rams, not trying to hide anything. I you met know. with Sean McVay. What's that? I met with Sean McVay. Right, so we, all, we did meet with the Rams. I, we met with Zach many times, sure. and you met with McVay. Yeah. You asked him a very you know, personal question. Yeah, I asked him what he felt about stealing Zach from us. He called Zach a future star. Yeah. That was great. Mm. Zach's like, hmm, cool. Didn't know that. Didn't know I was a future star. I made sure to say that when he screws up, just send him back, though. Yeah, we could use him. You know, Zach's a, he's an asset. Anyway, I, I'm coming off a high. It was a good week. Okay. We have a whole new product behind the scenes called PFFIQ, and I thought um, it's all of our best stuff getting uh, rolled into a new product in the next year or so exclusively for NFL teams and just saying, look, you guys are using our data this amount. You could be using it this much when it comes to every single decision that you make. So I think that's all moving in the right direction, and I thought it was a, a really good week. So I finished it on a sappy note. Apparently. Is that okay? No. Let, All right, I'm, drag us I'm back down. Fed up with the sappiness. Let's get into some comedy and pitch this thing back to the live show. Now, again, apologies for the fact that the audio will not be the best in the world. On the other hand, it's funny stuff, so I think you should just suck it up and listen through it. This is probably the last live audio from this show that we will bring you, and in future efforts, we will endeavor to make the audio better. But listen to this; it's funny. Here's Joey Molinaro. So the, the special guests are not finished now. The guy we want to bring on next is, he's going viral, Mike. I would say, I think he has the most Twitter followers of anyone here. Does he? I that think makes he does. Sense. Yeah. Um, he is pretty he should. Doing, I mean, he's the most talented oh, yeah. one here. He is taking over the internet right now. He's doing a ton of uh, impersonation videos that are absolutely going nuts. And he's from right here in Indy. Joey Molinaro. All right. What's up, dude? Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for being here. This is awesome. Tough act to follow with the maniac. Right? Yeah. Great. But the, the beauty of it being you who gets to follow him is you can, you, you've got multiple personalities that can come out and, and try and help this thing along. Yes, you could say that. You could say that. So for anyone that doesn't know, you know, you've been doing a ton of these impersonation videos recently, and they've been kind of going crazy. Well, what was the one that, that set it all off? Andrew Luck really Luck started one? it. Yeah. Him and Saban. Saban. Oh, I think Saban one was the first one I like saw that I was like, wow, that has a lot of reach. It's like, it's like yeah. that's got a lot of traction. Yeah. The, the Bama people don't like me too much, but you know, whatever. Oh, don't worry. If you work for PFF, you learn pretty quickly. You can piss fan bases off really quickly. Yeah, and with LSU being on top, oh, yeah. go Tigers. Alabama was not happy about all that that went down. So. He also, the one that I really liked is we, we go on with Colin Cowherd a lot. We're on the herd pretty regularly. Your cowherd is top, top notch. <laughs> this is the herd. Absolutely outstanding. But it's draft time. We're in Indy. Sure. We're here for the NFL Combine. And Mike here is our draft expert. Uh-huh. Mike. Again, expert. Come on, I, I just do drafts. Expert, that's a, that's a strong word. That's a light. That, you know, yeah. that should be taken lightly. Expert that. at every position other than linebacker. Yes, right. I mean. So Mike is our draft expert at positions other than linebacker. He has been grinding the tape until it is so fine it can pass through your eyes and get into your brain. And Mike is the guy. He's our expert of all these draft prospects. But I think what we should do is have a prospect face-off. Between Mike Renner, PFF's draft expert, and Mel Kuyper Jr., sure. the best hairdo in the NFL. Absolutely. 
And I'm growing more and more fond of people with great hairdos as I get less and less hair. I know. I don't mean to rub it. I, you know, I, I've been growing well, it out. Between so. you and him. That's right. With the Lock well. I mean, this is a good, this is a good looking group. This is, well, wait. this is a high average flow, even with me dragging it yeah. down. So what I think it would be good to do is to fire some prospects at Mike here, get the PFF take, get the, the analytics approach, figure out what we're talking about here, and then let's find out how Mel Kuyper would respond and would analyze these players. Love we can debate. We can debate, debate a little. Yeah. So let's start at the top, Mike. Number one draft prospect, or the number one person in this draft, Joe Burrow, quarterback from LSU. What do you think of him? Sure thing. Dude's a sure thing. More accurate than any other quarterback we've ever seen. And the way he lit college football on fire was uh, unlike anything uh, we, like anyone's ever seen ever. It was the best college football season of all time. Well, I think when you look at a guy like Joe Burrow coming out of LSU, got to be a number one overall pick. I don't know about his hand size. A little problem with his hand size. Not a 10-inch hand. Not big enough to cover a pie. So Joe Burrow, he's kind of a Cinderella story coming out of LSU. Not going to be my top prospect of all. Okay. All right. Not going to be his top prospect overall. So, Mike, uh, Mel's not on board. Mel is going in a different direction. Uh, Mel does this every year. And we, he likes to be contrarian just to make a headline, but uh, that's Mel. And just a reminder, I don't watch a lot of film like you guys. I'm watching film. I'm watching a movie with the wife. Maybe I'm not eating with some pizza. Watching a movie. So I don't take too much time to watch Joe Burrow. I'm watching a movie with the wife. Okay, Mike. It's, it's maybe the best wide receiver draft class we've ever seen. Certainly in, the, in many, many years. Your number one wide receiver is Oklahoma City Lamb. No, it's not. It's not? You changed Anymore. it. Anymore. We changed it. Judy. Judy now. Excellent. All right, let's do Judy. Yeah. Well, Jerry Judy is different. Different athlete than you see at the wide receiver position, like, ever. The guy, the reps on tape where guys try to hit him at the line of scrimmage and physically cannot. Like, he is that quick, that fast. Uh, to me, best wide receiver prospect since at least Amari Cooper. You probably got to go back to A.J. Green, Julio Jones, to realistically call him. Uh, he's better than probably Amari Cooper was coming out. I have to agree with the most part. We're looking at Jerry Judy. He's a lot like Judge Judy. You know, he's going to bring down the hammer on some defenses, just like Judge Judy would with the gavel in the courtroom. I'm going to have to agree with you, Mike. I like Jerry Judy a whole lot. I like it. So we're both on board with Judy. Mm. By the way, that's the right decision. Yeah, I, yeah, I told yeah. you right from the outset that it should be Judy. I know, I know. Not CeeDee Lamb. So I'm glad you finally got on board. And we got Mel on board as well. A unanimous decision. That we Jerry don't usually agree, but yeah, Mel. Right. Absolutely. So what about cornerbacks? Next most important position, the cornerback position. Ohio State keeps churning out these corners, and they've got another one this year, Mike Jeffrey Akuda. Yeah, Akuda won the weigh-in, ideal size for the position. Comes from Ohio State. We've seen what Denzel Ward did coming out. We've seen what Marshawn Ladder and Moore did coming out. It's because they play a lot of man coverage, a lot of cover three, two most popular coverages in the NFL nowadays. Comes from an NFL kind of scheme, has the length, size, athleticism, ticks all the boxes at that point. You just feel good about a guy like that. I have to agree again with Mike. I like Jeffrey Okuda. Reminds me of one of my favorite movies, The Lion King, Okuda Matata. Maybe some Disney there. That's what I'd go with. Jeffrey Okuda Matata. Going to bring some happiness to your defense. What about, let's move to the defensive line, Mike. Chase Young, one of the best prospects that we've seen come along in years, even out of Ohio State. They've had a ton of those top-end pass rushers. Was supposed to be showing up here tonight, but is in such high demand that he's been dragged into meetings with NFL teams, so Oof. I don't know if we're going to get him. But what is your take on Chase Young? He is, to me, the best pass rusher, like, uh -oh. prospects, maybe, like, ever. Like, oh. He is, I mean, the best I've seen since I've been alive. 
because he is there's nothing about the position that he's not elite at. I mean, he's Miles Garrett was unreal athlete. Chase Young's an unreal athlete. Ch- Miles Garrett just did not have more than a couple moves coming out of you know Texas A&M. Chase Young has everything. I mean, he's shown all of it on tape already. Like Nick Bosa at the ground running, unlike any other edge we've graded as a rookie in the NFL. I think Chase Young comes in as like a top three guy right off the rip. I do like Chase Young a lot. A couple red flags to think about, though. When you look at a guy like Chase Young, when he went through Ohio State, he did have a couple red flags there. Got suspended for some money issues. I'm not sure what happened. Hey, it could be a little controversial when you look at it. Some red flags for Chase Young. I don't think he's a phenomenal athlete. I don't know how he's going to fit when it comes to our Washington Redskins or Cincinnati Bengals. Hopefully he doesn't go to the Bengals because that'd just be a dumpster fire. Outstanding. What about, Mike, let's go quarterback number two. We've had Joe Burrow. Tua Tagovailoa, what do you think of him? I think the hip injury is a lot bigger issue than a lot of people are kind of letting on to. But if we just take that off the table. You have expertise in this area. I was going to say, you know, my, my dad feeds me info. Former earthquake <laughs> surgeon, I like act like I'm an expert, but I just parrot his stuff. Nice. And he tells me, nice. and he's like, yeah, this, like, this could be bad. Like, he could get drafted and never play it down in the NFL. Like, that's an actual, real sort of... Risk. I, thought, I, thought, I thought they all checked out, though. Yeah, like, but it's like it yeah, can yeah, happen. It can happen at any point. Like right. the, the the problems could arise at any point in the next like few months. They so. only had legitimate medical staff examining him. We have Mike's dad who saw him play. Yeah. My dad talked to me for like an hour about it, so I'm pretty much an expert right now. I could probably pass the uh, only the chat right now. Yeah, right. yeah for sure. <laughs> but it, I I do think on the field though he's closer to Joe Burrow than a lot of people want to admit because he's two years younger than Joe Burrow. And he's never played bad football. He came in freshman national championship game, lit it up against the Georgia defense. That was awesome. And then has done that ever since. So as far as two versus Burrow, if they were both healthy, I could actually see that being a conversation. Well, I'm going to switch it up on you. All right? I'm going to go with Nick Saban. Whoa. He, know, he knows Tua Tagovailoa pretty damn well. Unfortunately, now that he's out of my program, I don't have time to talk about Tua Tagovailoa. All right? Joe Burrow beat Tua Tagovailoa earlier this year, but that's not my concern now. All right? I'm trying to run a football program. We need a, we need a Coke bottle up here if we're going to go right, right into Nick Saban. Oh, that's fantastic. You have the branding correct? We can't, we can't let that stand having... What is this? It's not, it's not Coke. That's all I know. That's not where Nick Saban would be. I like living. to have a little fun, too, sometimes. All right? <laughs> I like it. What do we got left, Mike? Who do you want to talk about next? Do we have to uh, talk about guys? Yeah, well, let's, let's talk about something that Colin Coward, let's talk about Baker Mayfield oh, coming out. Yes. Baker Mayfield coming out was the guy who the analytics guys say had the best projection, yes. better than Burrow, mm-hmm. is, is like the analytically says this is the best quarterback we've ever seen coming out of college. Took a bit of a step back this year, but he has, I mean, that off field is worrisome. And I think that's why. Let's but, try and avoid mentioning the Cheesecake Factory. That's all I'm going to say. Let's avoid references to that. <laughs> what does Cowherd think about Baker now? <laughs> Joy, I tell you what. Baker, again, 12 and 17 as a starter. Two years. 12 and 17. But Colin Baker's lit. But Colin Baker's one of us. He's 12 and 17 as a starter. Two years. Backseat of the car. It becomes a backseat. Comes trouble. Backseat of the car guy becomes backwards hat guy becomes trouble. I got grabbing the junk on the sideline. I got the police video. He's a backwards hat kind of guy. He's trouble. It's hurt. I didn't hear that coming out about him that much. If, if people had only known how bad being a backwards hat kind of guy was, we might have seen the red flags. 
it, do, you, do you want to back with that kind of guy being on the side of your, your building? No. <laughs> That's right. You don't. It's her. <laughs> Absolutely outstanding. Guys, we have one more special guest to round out this show. Joey, you've been absolutely phenomenal. Thanks for having me, guys. Follow this guy on Twitter. He's already got more Twitter followers than the rest of us put together. Oh, absolutely. He has been absolutely outstanding. That's for podcast listeners only. And now, for the rest of you on the live YouTube feed, we're wrapping it up. You don't get it. That's it. You got to listen. You got to download the show. Download the show. Listen to Joey. If you guys just listened to it, he is really good. He's really good. It's funny. um, I saw him do some stuff with PFT a few weeks ago. I don't know if Barstool's going to, you know... Snatch him up or what? I don't know. But, but he's a future star. He's been everywhere. He, uh, I saw after we snagged him for our live show, Matt Miller behind us on Radio Row sidled up and was like, hey, you want to do something with us? And they did something for yeah. their, their thing as well. Yeah. So I think, you know, I remember when Frank Caliendo went viral over 10 years ago. Mm. And it was like, here's a Madden. Could you, you know, go his- viral 10 years ago? Yeah, you could. You could. YouTube still existed. Okay. And, you know, you could still, you could still go viral back then. Not as easily as you can now, but Caliendo made a name for himself pretty quickly. I think Joey's moving quick. His, uh, I think the Colin Cowherd's my favorite. He's just got, he's got like the, the thing is it's tough to have. It's one thing to have the voice and impression. It's another thing to have the content, the and Cowherd the mannerisms. and the mannerisms too. Right. Um, like I did my Peter King impersonation mm. at the live show, which is strictly voice. I don't have the mannerisms. I got, that's it. I got voice and a little bit of content, right? Joey's got a ton of good coward content. Yeah. Right? The backwards hat guy and this, you know, he does that really well. And his Kuiper stuff is really good as well. Kuiper stuff's good. He's got like the inflections and the tone and he's got it all pretty good. It's tough to compete with Caliendo though. When he's got the Kuiper stuff. And well, he's younger. He's young. He's got more time. Yeah. Anyway, good job, Joey. Appreciate it. We'll be doing some more stuff in the future. Hopefully. Is that it? We're yeah. wrapping it up? Now we're out. That's it. Monday show. We got our combine winners and losers. We'll be back on Thursday. Free, it's all free agency and draft from here on out up until free agency and the draft. So stick with us. Appreciate everybody that showed up to the live show. A great turnout. Thousands and thousands of people, give or take. Mm. We can lie, right? Uh, give or take. Sure. Thanks to everybody that turned in, turned up on Thursday night. Stop talking. The music's playing. Let's get out. They're playing out. See you Thursday. You're cut. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray and his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. 
Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at nfl.com slash pro football focus NFL.